Hello and welcome to Yes We Can, the exhaustive canned podcast from Monster Movie to uh, uh, the one they did in the 90s that no one's actually heard. It's the Krautrock Journey of a Lifetime with your hosts, Josh and Charles. Uh, Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, this is actually our last episode or I don't remember which one it was, but a couple episodes ago you started off talking about some dumb bullshit that I knew nothing about, but can? One of my favorites. Let's just talk can today. Hold on. The Oasis Basis is actually a pretty good idea for a podcast. So what let's is not it? Dump can on... you actually tell me what that means? I've been all week. I've just been trying to figure out what Oasis Basis there is. There were these blokes from Manchester. No, not the Fab Four. Not the not the freaking Beatles. Okay? I'm talking about a little movement. Look, we're getting older, Charles, okay? Mm. The, the nostalgia factor is already the, – the the wheels of commerce are already churning and, and repackaging the 1990s into this incredible experience that it almost certainly wasn't. But that aside, cynicism aside, Oasis is a delightful little band from Manchester who pioneered the Britpop movement with songs uh, like, you know – I said, maybe you're going to be the one that saves me. Oh, that's Oasis. Because after all, you're my wonder wall. They wore anoraks. That's what the British call those. I don't even, do we even have a word for anoraks in America? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, so maybe. But look it up. Look up an anorak. It's, okay. it's, like a, it's like a windbreaker hoodie, basically, for when it's, because it's always damp in England, is my understanding. I've been there a few times. I'm well-traveled. Was it damp? It so was, it's just a, a windbreaker. It was definitely damp, but they call them anoraks, which is cool. Um, that is cooler I, than windbreaker. I have no idea where anorak comes from. Maybe it's a military thing? Um, An anorak. Anorak is a British slang term which refers to a person who has a very strong interest, perhaps obsessive, in niche subjects. Hmm. That, uh, that that's that's kind of us, right? Because we're that's obsessed kind of with us. film. Wow. And we, film Josh, is like for nerds. We should get when will it end anoraks. We really should. We should merch this shit up. And then screen print that definition onto the front and people will be like, yeah, I'm into this pretty obscure podcast. They talk about movies like Die Hard 2. Real deep cut stuff. Yeah. Wait, are we going to talk about Die Hard too? Um, unfortunately, a little are bit. Are talk about Die Hard too? Wait, can I just say, can I just point out something really weird here, Charles? Yeah, what's that? Okay. Oh, man, I can't fucking believe this. Another Die Hard? Another Christmas-based crisis? How can the same <laughs> shit happen to the same Dude. podcast twice? So, as we do, like, I, I never really know when, because our schedules are very different. I live a life of just, you know, I'm a, I'm a fucking peddler of beer. I get home late. I wake up early. You know, I'm I'm always on the run. I'm always on the road. And you are also in a, like, you seemed like, if you were to tell anyone, oh, I'm a journalist, you'd think nine to five, wears a suit and tie, you know, goes to the office, fucks around all day sort of thing. But no, you're, you're also, you can't be pinned down either. Well, I get to work, I get to work and I'm like, uh, I'm like, I expect a hot cup of coffee from my secretary and I'm like, Hold my calls till one. I'm sleeping off this hangover from banging all these broads last night. Don't tell the wife. Right. And I change my shirt and I head into a meeting where they're like, you better have a brilliant idea, Josh. And I'm like, an article about business colors of owners, uh, business owners of color. <laughs> business owner- <laughs> no, 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 no. Go with the first one. And how they've been impacted specifically by the COVID-19 pandemic. And they're like, God damn, that's fucking good stuff, Landy's. 
and then I get awards. Then I then I drink half a quart of gin, and I'm off to the award show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you get married specifically to fulfill this like fantasy of Mad Men meeting uh, spotlight? Yeah, you know, I've only ever seen the first episode of Mad Men, and it made it seem like uh, that guy had a, had an awesome life and had his shit together, and was just like a man living the dream, right? Mm. I assume the show is nothing more than a fawning portrait of that behavior. So I'm just gonna never watch a second the second episode onward. Don't, and uh, yeah, don't don't worry about it. Um, I brought up our lifestyles because I watched Die Hard quite some time ago and again this is not meant to shame you i'm not complaining or anything like that i'm just saying we might have been recording on tuesday this week so i watched it on monday night got delayed a little bit that's all right we're we're we're, again we're lads that are hard to pin down yeah we're off doing shit that we want to be doing and this you know we find the time when we can which is you know the day before it comes out on a morning 10 a.m. on a weekend Hold on. for no, you. No, no, no. It's it does. We have you have 48 hours to edit this at least. So don't bitch now about editing. I already told you I'm not complaining. I'm sorry. I said the wrong thing. Two days, two day turnaround on this. It's fine. I'll get it You're done. You're too late to apologize. But what I'm You're saying is late. I took notes from a movie I watched a week ago that I don't really remember very well and didn't really pay that much attention. I, and actually, no, that's not true. I watched that. I'm going to tell you a little story. So sit back, close your eyes again, get the imagination pumping. I watched this movie. I started it at 1 a.m. after watching Tenet. That seems like a like a really bad idea. Yeah, it was. But I managed to stay awake through the entire thing. And I managed to. The only real comparison point um, that I found between the two is that Tenet guns. They both use guns. Well, they both blow up airplanes and Tenet's. I know you haven't maybe watched it yet, but Tenet's airplane explosion is. I also I rewatched Speed the other day that has an amazing airplane explosion. I don't know what happened. Did, did Tenet just like did he? Int- I think Nolan is intentionally making boring shit. We're going to talk about it on Friday's episode. I think right. Yeah, uh, just uh, as a as a teaser for the Patreon, I will be watching Tenet on my phone. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Can you please, please, we have momentum to maintain in the episode. Please fucking come to a conclusion in this terrible story. Um. I took some notes, and yeah, okay. that's, that's basically all we going on today. Let me ask you, okay, that, that was a terrible story. Hey, Charles, let me ask you something. What sets off the metal detectors first, the lead in your ass or the shit in your brains? What does that mean? Fat fuck. What does that mean? Is that all it fat is? Fat fuck, you fat piece of shit. <laughs> uh, for me, it's definitely the lead in my ass. Yeah. I don't know uh, how it got there. But... Die Hard 2 is a bad movie. <laughs> what a, what a, absolutely, I miss the, like, uh, troubling uh, the deeply troubling politics of the first movie, because at least that movie is about something. And in this movie, it's sort of like a series of shoots and ladders and like inflatable enemies that just all exist to have John McLean say absolutely terrible shit and women be like, hey, John, can I deep throat you because you're a god man? And he's like, hey, I'm married. Hey, whoa, hey, yo. Yeah. Uh, I think just just the facts, ma'am, is one of the worst jokes I've ever seen in a movie ever. Yeah, so this is well, we talked about this last episode. Do, we're like, do, well, hold on, do, do you get that joke? You're not as cultured as me. Just the facts. That's from Dragnet, famously, because the the the, the detective on Dragnet would say, "Just the facts, facts, ma'am." Just the facts, ma'am. And in Die Hard Two, because John McClane is trying to keep up with the fast-paced tech of the '90s, they're talking about a fax machine. 
And the lady who he's just bullied and screamed at, like, inexplicably is like, hey, maybe later on you could uh, do anal on me. And he's like, just the facts, ma'am. And he's like wiggling his wedding ring. Just the facts. Get it? So I got into a can in like a, a sort of roundabout way. I, I watched the Haruki Murakami movie. And there was two or three can songs that were used extensively throughout. Um, I think it was Norwegian Wood really got me down the road and i checked out the one with the can on it first and then i went to the one without the can on it second well there's a lot of the records you're, you're talking about uh their their second record which i've actually been listening to non-stop because um fan, well so ige bamiasi is their second right. record I, I maybe mispronouncing that i didn't oh, no, even sorry, try that, to that's their third it. record my bad because it's monster movie then tego mego then that uh that record's literally perfect. You can listen to it nonstop. And uh, they were originally like a soundtrack band as collected on one of their their, their compilations. Oh, interesting. But uh, in, uh, in Inherent Vice, mm-hmm. old PTA cranks the fucking – he absolutely jacks up the movie with the vitamin C, which is the boom, 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 boom. boom. You're loosen, you're loosen, you're loosen, you're loosen your vitamin C. Yo, vitamin C. And yeah, I, I, it's I forgot moment. that that was on that record. So I got the CD for my friend and it gets to track four and I'm like, oh my fucking God. So I've been kind of ruining that album by listening to it like just relentlessly lately. Are you saying you're like ruining it just sort of for yourself internally or are you actually stripping away the what magnets? Well, how do CDs work? It's a series of magnets. They're flat magnets. They go in a circle and they go. No, like, you know, like uh, sometimes you just listen to a record too much and then yeah. you have to take a long break. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of I'm reading the canned book because in classic Josh manner, I can't just <laughs> like it. something. You are a fucking anorak. Rel- I'm such a friggin anorak about this stuff. Uh, yeah, it's so good. It's it's a it's uh it's nice to to enjoy good art and then watch Die Hard two, alongside it. So which I I speed watched. I watched it about in about an hour. Okay, great. So I I want to say um, I'm sort of regret what what I did last episode. Okay, I I'm sorry that we got I, a I got a lot of feedback about last episode. <laughs> Yeah, really? Okay, well, I want to hear about it. I don't I know if I want to hear about it right now. I don't know if you want to hear about it right now. Okay. Well, no, actually, let me give, give me one. Give me one little little, a little hot take. I don't know if you... I don't... I have not spoken to someone who was won over by your argument. I'll put it like that. That's fine. You know, I'm as we said, I'm, I'm a man of one on this. And I don't even know if I'm swayed over by my argument anymore. Yeah. I did watch scenes of it again to try to see... But as I'm, I didn't bring this up to, to rehash that. I brought it up to say that we didn't do a great job last week, okay? And I'm going to take all the responsibility for that because rather than talking about the movie, I talked about hmm, sort of like a selfish, look, look at me, look at me, like a professor would. Like, ooh, everyone sit down, shut the fuck up, and this is this is Charles' time. And rather than engage with you in a serious conversation about Die Hard, I decided to, you know, stand at the desk in a weird manner that perhaps suggested that i was you know packing or something i don't know is that the kind of professor you had the like wait are you are you saying that professors try to emphasize that they're packing yeah you know they stand at their desk in such a way that they might mm, just oh, show like, like sometimes when you put your when like the professor they're wearing like pleated khakis or something and they'll put yeah. their uh-huh. hands in their pockets with their thumbs out of the pockets they're right. just pointing to their 
to their yeah. junk. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a classic. Uh, just like lounging on their desk in such a way that you might see a little flop. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I was doing that sort of shit. You know. Yeah. Whereas imagine more... if if you were a, a male professor wearing a kilt and you just like kept sitting at such an angle as to give everyone a pretty good. Pretty good look at the the bangers and mash. If you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> under the anorak. I'm talking some under the anorak stuff. Yeah, that should be our memoir. The memoir hey, just of this the facts. podcast. Just the facts, Charles. Just the facts. But so maybe what I want to do this episode, and just if you don't want to do this, that's fine. But maybe since you sort of sped through Die Hard too, and I sort of watched it, but didn't really. It was a long time ago. I don't really remember much. I do think there's a lot of comparison points we could make to bridge the Die Hard 1 to the Die Hard 2. Maybe talk a little bit more about Die Hard 1 in this episode that we sort of just sort of skipped over because I was, you know, really argumentative. Okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I don't know if we need to, like, fully relitigate Die Hard 1, but... Um, Here's what I'm saying. I'm certainly- just saying putting back on the table that we can talk... Like, normally we try to just talk about the installment on, on its own, and we have a little bit of crossover, but we try to just stick to it. And I'm saying... I think it's fair game to reach back, pull out a Hans, pull out a scene, pull out something from the first one if you want to talk about it. I'm just giving you that space. Well, okay, well I, thank you. I appreciate that. It's generous of you to allow me to talk about stuff on the podcast. Um, I would say the the situation with Die Hard 2 is that never has the strengths of a predecessor been quite so clear to me than in this one two punch that is so violently unambitious yeah where it's really just depressing on so many levels because like again all what did i say in the last episode i was like as i remember die hard 2 it's just serving up a charcuterie board to john mcclain to pluck from and say it's die hard one is like a tightly constructed movie where we watch an undergunned hero literally uh conquer an environment in a way that is seems impressive because it's genuinely crazy what's going on and we have such a strong sense of the different dynamics and such a strong sense of the space that everything is very tense and exciting and as we as i texted you while watching this movie this feels like they greased up the shoot and just push john down like a water <laughs> yeah. slide and it's like oh i got to friggin' crawl through the thing and every tunnel leads to the next location and at this location we do this uh oh back to that one and like we have no sense of the airport despite them showing us all the, the terrible character of marvin the janitor who's like i'm a quirky janitor i like records like they just like they're trying so hard to throw stuff at the wall that feels as organic as Die Hard. And again, because of my relentless IMDb trivia research, which again speaks to my abilities as an award-winning journalist that I can go to IMDb and click on the trivia tab. You know the fact that Wait, you, it's a you tab. Don't Bruce, oh it's, well, God, I've always, I always scroll. No, no, I, I think you're right. I always, I just scroll at the top, down. It's, a, it's no, yeah, yeah, at the top fuck. they have trivia as a tab. Wow, yeah. you deserve all your awards. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I really do. What I'm trying to say is this. Die Hard 1 feels like you don't know what's going to happen next. It's thrilling. And like, you know, oh, my God, how is he going to pull off that and knowing what we know about what he's facing? In this movie, people are just running around a very large space. It's somewhat unclear, for example, where the church is for some time and where it is in relation to the airport, other than that apparently yet another tunnel attaches it to this to Marvin's yeah. secret hangout. It just feels very like it's like a big bag. It doesn't feel tight. 
feels like a big old bag. Okay. Right. A big. I, I don't want to crawl around a bag. I want to be in a little box. Absolutely. It's like, it's. I don't know. It reminds me not even of a bag, but just like a giant. Remember when you were a, a kid in like middle school and you had the big parachute? Yes. The big. Do people still do the big parachute? I don't know. We gotta get. A, we gotta get a middle schooler on the fucking podcast so we can ask them. I'll just go onto the street, try to find a young enough person, and lure them. Well, I mean, it's COVID into times my too. office. You gotta get someone. No, who's no, I'll, a, I'll a wear tenured, a mask. I'll, I'll wear a mask. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm just saying you got to get a tenured, a tenured middle, middle schooler. Yeah, not like some fucking new middle schooler that's never done this shit before. <laughs> they, they do a thing where they're like, uh, congratulations, you're going to be a middle schooler for the rest of your life. <laughs> oh, shit, dude. That would be so fucking sick. Actually, middle school sucked. Eh, middle school's like okay. A, a, a 45-year-old divorce guy like smoking a cigarette being like, oh, man, big parachute again. Sick of <laughs> dude, this shit. Did you, ever, did you also do the one where you had those like uh, like flat pieces of plastic on wheels on track? Like the little four wheels and then you'd like spin around i don't know we used to do this like basically i got very drunk a couple months ago and amy was out doing something else and i was sort of bored and i was just on netflix and i clicked on the floor is lava i don't know if you've heard of this i don't know if you've clicked on this but basically it's a game show where the floor is lava uh it's not literally lava though because that would be actually cool this is just like here's the thing I, i i appreciate that like we've all emotionally regressed to the point where we would watch adults play that on netflix or whatever but if you're not doing it in a hotel room when your parents specifically have told you to go to bed right in the that it, i'm not really sure i think that's the that's the secret sauce for the floor is lava yeah or actually shipping in lava and forcing adults to traverse a american ninja warrior style obstacle course over actual liquid hot magma yeah if there was the promise of watching someone melt into searing hot fucking glowing ruby red liquid that'd be fucking amazing yeah so i watched about 10 minutes of it and i don't know we were talking we talked on the bonus episode last time about great british bake-off and how like how it's hard not to have a personal response to people in front of you on tv uh if you don't want that response josh this is the show for you if you want to watch an entire hour of show and not have a personal response to anything going on and not fucking have crybaby culture around a show this is it. No one's crying over this show. No one gives a shit. You will not yeah, have I mean, anyone let, complaining. Let's be real. It's December 2020. If you're not trying to just dissociate every single second of every day and just shut off your emotional ability to feel anything, uh, what are you doing? This is the time to just sear off whatever was left of your humanity. Yeah, this is the time. So I recommend that. I brought it up because that was another game we used to play. We used to set up obstacle courses on the gym floor and then we would like scoot around on the little the little tiny it's like a shopping cart without the cart part just the four wheels that like move in all directions but it sounds like this was a main thing you never got to do this no this sounds like one of those classic deep cut main uh gym yeah. class activities yeah yeah i get why you have me uh, like state pride like shit like this i can lord this over anyone that's not for main like oh yeah we got to play the floor is lava at school motherfucker on little carts motherfucker were you delighted to see uh, deceased former presidential candidate Fred Thompson in this movie? Who's that? Uh, he plays the air traffic controller guy who says cool shit like, all right, everyone, let's call in all our birds and slow them down before we get a parking lot over our heads. The lion starts yeah. in Mississippi and they better start taking numbers. He was cool. Yeah. He was really cool. He ran as a Republican and I remember there was in my hometown, we, you know, in, in every hometown there's like a horrifically uh, Simpsons accurate – 
comic book store. Ours is called Fantasy Realms. Mm-hmm. And it was run by like a, a balding ponchy guy, of course, um, with with a little ponytail. And he listened to like talk radio, like like right wing talk radio, like all day. So he was like a, a conservative small town comic book shop owner, making him like really one of the most difficult people to sympathize with ever. But he was like a big Fred Thompson fan. He 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 was like a Fred Thompson supporter. Wow. It's so like weird. Specifically, Fred, the, like the actor Fred Thompson was the political, that was his shining light. I mean, speaking of, I'm on the, I'm on the IMDb uh, Wikipedia page, and uh, during filming, Fred Thompson approached Stephen E. D'Souza to criticize the amount of four-letter words in the initial version of the screenplay. Stephen assumed Fred objected because of conservative leanings, but was incorrect. Fred thought the excessive language made the movie unintentionally funny and hard to take seriously. When Stephen viewed the da- the da- oh, the dailies, not the dailies, he agreed with Fred, saying it sounded like a David Mamet play, and agreed to remove some of the curse words from the script. Wow. Yeah. Can't make but that shit up. But when he left in, here's a good one. All right, just stay here, ready to call the Marines. I thought they were the Army. Who gives a fuck? Just be ready. God, so... What a fucking dumb bitch. So I the, hate John McClane. The, I hate John McClane. The first movie was... A success, and you're right. It's this, it was a success because people loved that shit, and they just basically, in the same way that I don't know, I, this weird thing happened where I was listening to a podcast on Spotify. It ended, and magically, out of the blue, it started playing the Cribiverse Part Two. And if you all, if you're new listeners, if you never listened to the Cribiverse, oh boy, it's a blast. It's so much fun. We're, we're talking in the same room. We, we talk about having watched movies together. It really brought me joy to listen to that era of our podcast. Charles, Charles of course, speaks of our Pirates of the Caribbean coverage, which again, uh, I, well, just, I guess, honestly, after that Hollywood Reporter article on Johnny Depp, it's a little hard to look back on those films with quite a sunny disposition. When we talk about uh, but, it, that's how long the, the lawsuit was in place. It like started back in 2018. That's true. I'm just saying, in the same way that it reminded me of how much power a single actor can have. Like you bring in a Depp, you bring in a, a Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis got so much money out of this one and so much power where he like all those like dumb lines that were in the first one were all just like straight from John's dumb brain or Bruce's brain. So they just allowed him to do whatever the fuck he wanted. So that line probably where he said, what sets off the metal detector first, your lead ass or your shit head? It's like, that was just like came right out of Bruce's mind. Steve was probably just like glancing around me like, do we, do we fucking cut? Do we keep that in? Is he done? Will he ever be done? This is for flight 114, motherfucker. Wow. Good one, Bruce. Holly, there's your freaking landing light. Good one, Just good Bruce. stuff. Dire 2 owns so many good lines in here. Um, but I, I, so I, in some ways, I think... It is it is in every way worse than the first one. But as we were talking about the end of the last episode, this is a perfect, I think, continuation of what the first movie is. And that's why we were asking when will it end last week? Because we saw the painting on the wall or whatever its phrase is. We knew this was going to happen. It was going to become... No, we saw the wall painting. Yeah, the Bruce Willis show. Here it is. He's going to fucking... He's going to show everyone how right he is. Jesus Christ, there's so much more space in this movie given to John McClane being like, wow, what a, what a, what an idiot. Do what I say. What an idiot. You well, suck. Well, he literally says, say. like, I hate it when I'm right. He's right about everything. And what made me angry from the get-go is that when he's observing suspicious stuff in the airport terminal early on, like, 
In Die Hard, he's thrust into the heart of a completely chaotic right. situation and works his way outward. In this one, from the get-go, he seeks it out. He's sniffing it out because he's like a <laughs> fucking genius super cop now. Um, and then, what? Even more bizarrely, the pacing of the movie—they make this choice that I find so odd, where he keeps running back to airport headquarters. Right. So it's like Jesus Christ. Action scene <laughs> stops. Goes back to start. Action scene stops, goes back to start. This happens many times in the movie. And the whole point of Die Hard is that he's thrust into something that that unspools in real time. It's happening all around him. It feels very natural. Like he's he's trapped in the roof. He's trapped in the closet. He's trapped in the elevator shaft. In this, he just like keeps going back to a well-lit room full of other fucking cops. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sucked. And it's it's true. It's like, why would you basically have... It was like they were on the clue board and they had the tunnel from the conservatory to the whatever. And they're just like, they were just warping back and forth through secret tunnels around the airport. Also, there's a ticking clock, which sucks. Like, no, the first one excels because you, as you said, he's thrust into a situation where they don't really see an end other than everybody's death. But there's no like time that he has to work in. He's just confronted with situations that automatically lead to the next one. Here it's like, oh, you got 90 minutes to do shit. But it obviously is taking way longer than 90 minutes. That's the problem with the ticking clock. Is that then you're stuck in a time frame and you're like, wait, what? Where, how is he, what's going on? Why is it still happening? Isn't everything, shouldn't everything have exploded by now? Fuck this movie. Well, and then also the plot. Like, the beauty of Die Hard is that there are thieves posing as terrorists. But at the end of the day, they're not ideologues. They're just cutthroat you know thieves and that's the beauty of it it's th- it's not a terribly convoluted plot it's it's pretty straightforward yeah the, the tracking the Ugh. relationships connections and history of people in this movie you shouldn't need to be doing this much work to be like okay colonel stewart is motivated to help the disgraced dictator from by the way the same country as in commando this is technically speaking steven d'souza has created a film verse where there that is uh, the same he country. loves he, he loved uh, that shit. can you please explain to me so this movie is basically saying that we will be it was like somehow having the war on drugs be used as an excuse to also liberate a drug lord because he's hard on communism it, it it it's pretty incoherent. It's just strange. Like I I I've seen this movie many times at this point in my life. Uh, rarely in one sitting, and rarely in its entirety because it's bad and boring. But yeah, the major plot is so needlessly convoluted that by the time John Amos and and his uh. cadre flip over, you're like, it's just like such a fuck you to the viewer where you're like, oh great, another useless wrinkle that's a total dead end. So now at the end of the movie. He has, like, a triple fight on the plane. Like, it's just, like, it's just, you know, they keep – it's a hat on a hat on a hat. None of it adds up. Everyone's – okay, so here's here's part of the dynamic of the movie that I want to – if you notice this. So the great Robert Costanzo from Total Recall plays a shitty asshole cop giving him a ticket in the beginning of the movie. And by the way, this movie has Marines. It has airport cops. It has beat cop like. And we're supposed to distinguish, like, what the right kind of cop is. (laughs) It's so so bad. Josh, here's the thing. There's only one kind of cop. Good cops. John McClane. All the rest can go fuck themselves or learn from John. 
and be better. That's right. like that's like the only lesson they took from the first one was that John McClane can teach you to be a better murderer and you should fucking just do what he says. Okay, so the movie is set in DC, which apparently is conceptually to to Rennie Harlan, the, the fucking ding-dong Finnish guy who made this movie and made other amazing movies like uh, Deep Blue Sea, Cliffhanger, The Adventures <sighs> of Ford Fairlane, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and the greatest, one of the biggest flops in human history, Cutthroat Island. Uh, because they can't figure out how to depict DC culturally, they've got Robert Costanzo playing it as like a New York cop. Like, right. hey, I'm yes. Murray, I'm a brash New York cop. You're like, oh, okay, that feels kind of New York-y, whatever. Then we have Dennis Franz doing his full Chicago thing. Because, like, <laughs> you can't get Dennis Franz <laughs> to not do a Chicago thing. So just culturally speaking, it just kept feeling like we were in different universes every time a different white ethnic cop showed up to, like, talk aggressively in a thick dialect. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. It's It doesn't... I thought we were in New York, and then we're suddenly in D.C., even though everyone is... I don't... Maybe that's it. Maybe D.C. just doesn't have any, like, cultural latching onto point for for me to, like, know what D.C. is other than, like, the West Wing. Like, what would a D.C. cop be like? The biggest problem is that some movies are, like, so pre-9-11 that people like us who are just so traumatized by the last 20 years of just incredible violence and competence, slaughter and mayhem. Like if there was a problem with Dulles airport over Washington DC on Christmas Eve, like in our day and age for the last 20 years, they would shut down the country. Right. We would go, we would, we would nuke Moscow. You know, we would like, you know, it's, it's very weird to watch this where in the first movie, the appearance of the FBI leads us to some of the best lines in the movie. We're going to need some more FBI guys. I will never get over that. That is the high point in this series so far. And in this movie, like everything is like we get some Marines, but like they kind of all stick to themselves. Like it's just like the, the, the response that we're watching just feels so weirdly patchy and confusing. I don't know. Like none of it congeals. The thing about Nakatomi Plaza is that as this like monolith, this phallic monolith rising up over Los Angeles. It's like a very natural centerpiece for the action as it mounts and mounts and mounts. And by the time it's surrounded and with the stakes really high, because we're at this airport that's thinly defined mm-hmm. and weirdly porous, it's very hard to tell where exactly the focal point, because we have the air control tower. We have the airport cop office we have the church we have the runway so and then we have marvin's or martin whatever the fucking ah my records the janitor guy like there's no obvious visual centerpiece to the movie so i think i hear what you're saying if you if if the airport were shaped like a dick yes you would have understood it thank you you needed if if the airport looked like a big penis then you could understand where the action is. And like at right. the end, until you said that, I didn't really think of it that way. But this is basically the action as the mo- movie progresses, it comes to the top. And I please excuse me using the word come, but it's That's just came- disgusting. Well, no, because at the end of the movie, it just the top blows off in an ejaculatory masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, Nakatomi Plaza comes at the end of Die Hard. Right. 
in a way that's satisfying, in a way that right. feels good, where your toes are tingling and you're and mm. you're like for a minute you forget that you're alive and it's like the best feeling you've ever had. Yeah, the little death. <laughs> the little death. God, those French. God, they've, they have such a way with words. Um, but you, sorry, mm. you're saying. I mean, this is a, probably you're just continuing to talk about the box versus the bag thing, where this movie just doesn't invite you in in the same way that a Die Hard one does, even though they. I think they are both. Oh God! I just knocked my. Oh my fuck! Oh sorry. Okay. Um, sorry. It's it's okay. Uh, and they're both bad movies. I think they are both bad movies. After talking to you last week and watching this one, they are different in some ways. And if you know, if I have to doff the professor hat, which I did, and just watch it as a dumb movie about a fascist, it's not particularly enjoyable. I don't think it's. It is a seamless event, but it's also very tiny and silly and it really doesn't congeal into very much other than a few moments with characters that i like like hans well and... i mean i love die hard it's a great movie i just it's you know politically well that, that's, i don't even know if it is because like as you're it definitely, saying it definitely it works it works i i think it i mean we don't you don't have to agree with me from my vantage point and i think that of many that it just works regardless of my issues with it i don't have to say it's a bad movie to no, I can no, say, I don't, i'm not trying to get you to say it is i'm just saying that after watching this one and just like watching Dyer 1 and 2 together, this one is bad. And you can sort of carry over like, well, what is it that I actually enjoy about the first one? Because this just is all bad. And then you sort of watch the first one again and be like, oh, this is mostly bad. No, I don't, I, I, I don't agree at all. McTiernan creates a really – I think that that movie works, again, not to – I don't want to – I really don't want to go back to one too much. I just think – from my vantage point, I don't. From my vantage point, it just – you have so many different tiers of things working uh, from the supporting cast to the construct of the film to the visual storytelling. It just feels like a coherent, cohesive whole that gets, in my mind, the closest to like a fully functional piece of art that we've seen in filmmaking. It's just really fucking solid. And mm. this is um, – interestingly enough, this was shipped out to theaters uh, basically they, – they call it wet prints. Uh, like it was barely done. They they churned this out and got to theirs as quickly as possible. And McTiernan is out in this one because he's doing The Hunt for Red October. Right. Which uh, comes out the same year of 1990. So th- that to me is, you know, apparently Fox was impressed by The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, which is a the Andrew Dice Clay movie that's, absol- that's, that's completely fucking people – a truly bad movie. So Fox really uh, swung hard on Rennie Harlan – and and uh, I think this movie is fucking terrible. Yeah, and I think uh, most of what makes it bad is that it is constantly just referencing the first one, but not even really. It's just like, there's one line that I wrote down where he says like, another this, another that, another basement. Why the fuck is this happening to me again? And it's just like, was he ever in a basement at Nakatomi no, Plaza? I- I don't remember him being in a fucking basement. He's on the no. goddamn roof most of the he was, time. He was on a roof. He was in an elevator shaft. He was like always up in the air. And it's like that line alone just shows what this movie is. This movie is only a repetition of the first one in a way that doesn't work at all. Because as you said, there's no, the plots spread out, the setting set out. They misunderstood what people, well, maybe they didn't. They misunderstood what I like about a diehard well, no, but it's cowardly because, like, let's talk about one of the, the most irritating and, like, painfully unambitious parts of the movie. Holly McLean is on one Thank of the planes. You. I was just about to talk uh, about this. The McLean plane. 
And she's on the plane with the fucking journalist from the first movie. And this movie has just decided let's just have him be the biggest piece of shit ever and make all of that storyline be about Holly McLean and the stewardesses relentlessly dunking on this guy. And by the way, naming a character Dick and then calling him Dick is not funny. That's, that's a that's a Mike Myers move. That's that's like that. Yeah, that is not a thing you do is write the joke. Yeah. And then call reference to your joke as a joke. It doesn't work. Right. So the whole that that entire thing is just like you smell like shit. Your you your body smells, your breath smells, you're a dog shit, narcissist, piece of shit, fuck you. It sounds like he did some good investigative reporting on how dangerous aircraft are. Because again, nineteen ninety, it's after the deregulation by Reagan, and I've talked to many people who work in the airplane industry about how much how considerably more dangerous planes got after uh, our nightmare uh, dictator Reagan uh, shattered one more regulatory safeguard over our culture. So. Yes. Not only as a journalist am I sensitive to a, a series of like, you know, white vigilante movies making it clear how little you can trust the media, but just to have him be like the one role in this movie is for him to be mocked, belittled, tased, like called a piece of shit by an old lady. It's so lazy. It's the same joke over and over and over again. Right. It's not only is it it's the same joke, but it also it's like it's just cruel and mean and it doesn't even make any sense he's not even doing anything that bad other than trying to do his fucking job and well they they make it they're like uh fred thompson the, the inimitable fred thompson is like now everybody knows about the terrorists at the airport like isn't that that's good what, that's right. what breaking news is all about is letting people know shit that's important so that you actually can make decisions based on reality not on some bullshit version of reality which is it's so confounding. And the way he, they treat him, like, he's like, I have a restraining order against this woman because she beat me up and humiliated me in public, which is true. And they just, like, fucking make fun of him for the entire movie about getting beat up. And it sucks. This is, like, this is the man's version of what they think is cool to have, like, ladies. They're like, what if ladies were just, like, dudes and were just cruel and beat people up and felt good about it. Like, that's their idea of a strong woman back in 1990 and probably in 2015 was like, we'll just have a woman be a piece of shit. That's a strong woman. Well, it's just this, it's the same lack of ambition and cowardice as we see in the rest of the movie where they just feed, they feed Holly easy slam dunk lines on this fucking douchebag and then they she climactically tases him in a bathroom. And it's just like... right. It's real it's just climactic. Not, they're not trying. Like it, it's it's just boring. And like you know the fact that in the first movie Holly is you know in this they're like Holly's plane might run out of fuel and crash. And it's like well, yeah. I mean, who I don't cares? know. <laughs> I one yeah, who cares? Two yeah, I don't think this movie's going to end with Holly McLean dying <laughs> can, in a fucking can you imagine? fireball. That would that'd be sick. amazing. <laughs> that would have been sick. Just pull a uh, Nolan and kill the wife. Kill the wife. Do it. Oh, Killer. you're really, really happy with this new Nolan where the wife kills herself. Oh, thank Nolan. God. That's, Sorry, that's a real time saver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, give, I give a huge shit about the plot of Tenet. Also, that movie, the movie thing of like Chekhov's old lady taser where <laughs> yes. if you have an old lady uh, tell you about a story where she destroys her little dog with her taser, you know you know an hour later it's coming back to tase the pretty okay journalist character in the bathroom while he's scared for his life. But then also it's like, you know, in Die Hard, everyone's reacting to things. 
and that's like how their characters are mostly defined. You know what I mean? Even yeah. Ellis doing cocaine, he's reacting to being discovered or he's reacting to trying to, to wheel and deal his way out of a situation. And, and that's good writing. In this movie, fucking the reporter guy bursts into economy class being like, what do you mean I can't eat caviar? I got to sit with these fucking swine and fucking coach. They're pieces of shit. I'm a big fucking rich famous guy. And it's like, we get it. We do. We get it. Like having him burst into a room being like, I'm a fucking asshole. It's like just not – I don't know. I, I don't – I think the the beauty of Die Hard feels like that of Discovery. And we're talking about franchises. We're talking about sequels. There is nothing – all of our feelings about all of these characters in the first movie are just reinforced like in a terrified way in this movie. Nothing is challenged. Yeah. No, the only thing that are challenged are this idea – like John McClane challenges the world and wins. And this is why I think the first one is still more interesting because in the first one, John McClane is wrong all the time. And he succeeds and he does the thing that everyone wants him to do, which is blow shit up and kill the bad guys. But the entire movie, he has no fucking idea what's going on. And as we talked about in this one, he like fucking gets his big hound dog schnoz on the case and like sniffs out danger and is always right. The script is constantly telling you how right he is. Everyone is is either arguing with him and look like a dummy or just sucking John's big fat cock. And it's like, this movie doesn't leave any room for interpretation, doesn't leave any room for excitement or anxiety. It's just a fucking, it's like one of those games you put in two quarters, you grab a gun and you just, and the world just moves by and you get, try to shoot as many zombos or as many uh, military guys as you can before you run out of quarters. Charles, why does this always happen to us on Christmas Eve? Josh, I don't know. Maybe if you believed a little stronger in Christ, it wouldn't happen. Have a normal Christmas. Put a goose in the oven. Unwrap presents with the kids. Here's my thing. Is it is twice enough for that kind of attitude? You know what I mean? Is two times really enough for them to be this like, oh, God, this shit again? Like, I feel like twice feels like a coincidence what's the old rule well uh fool me uh, once shame on you fool me twice shame on me fool me three times yippee-ki-yay motherfucker that's the saying uh famously <laughs> spoofed by boosh boosh um i think i mean i think this you are allowed to comment on you know think about this just in if in real life you were attacked by bank robbers in a large building Saved it. A year later, same day, Christmas Eve, whatever. You're then attacked by uh, military goons again. You might say to somebody like, ah, oh, fuck, this is weird. This is happening again. I, I think I think maybe one line might have been a, a believable response to a similar situation involving life-threatening goons trying to kill you over and over again. But they just draw so much attention to the fact that it's a sequel. Every line. I, so it just feels like none none of that works. Like maybe you get to wink at that once maybe, but they just keep going ugh, back. So and that's the, that's the cowardice I'm talking about. Like yes. make, and in my mind, you know, not, not to borrow the parlance of a much better podcast, but if you have this blank check for a franchise where the first movie is a cultural event where you can do anything, to pro- one, the promise of this movie on the poster is Die Harder, which most certainly, other than planes blowing up and hundreds mm. of people dying it doesn't really die harder it no. feels he feels invincible and infallible in this movie which as you pointed out 
Yeah. There's a lot of cowardice where yes. they really could have gone somewhere with this and choose to revel in the we did it attitude that – and by the way, Robert Patrick is in this movie. So we have the T2. Yeah. Shades of T2 that's one in this. Of my notes. Um, it reminds me of the spy who shagged me where it's like just spiking the football over and over and over again. Yeah. It, it well, just, so, I hate that shit. So this is – when you say die harder – we get more deaths, but what the, I will say the first one works really well because you know, every character that is in the movie basically. And when he kills one of the bad guys, you like know his name, you know, his shoe size, you know who this person is, you know, who's in charge of this detonators, you know, who's in charge of this. Everything is like, it is so tight. And when he is on his killing rampage, you get to like, keep score with him he's like counting bad guys it's like so calculated so nicely bundled that you get a better sense of the dying where here it's like goons goons wearing the same clothes like you don't meet them you don't know who they are the only people you meet are the like the naked crazy man from the first scene which was uh quite an excellent villain introduction i thought yeah there's a few iconic uh opening ass shots for characters i think of uh Lost in uh, Translation. Ed, well, Lost in Translation and Knight Riders. Remember Ed Harris? Yeah, uh, Knight Riders. Where he's got the sword in the pond, just ass out. But William Sadler, to his credit, um, I feel bad because I, 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 William Sadler is one of these character actors who I love to watch and stuff. I think he's not given a lot to do in this movie. That's interesting, uh, especially in the shadow of Hans Gruber. That's the, 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 I mean, God, the gaping hole in the villains in this movie. I, I feel terrible because it's like John Amos, William Sadler – Two guys who I really like, and and you know, by the way, apparently Amos, the Amos's quote is, "There was actual tension between him and Bruce Willis during the course of filming, which got reflected on screen." Let's just say that he will never humiliate me in public again. You got that, Bruce? Wait, what happened? What did he do to Bruce? I, I'm, I don't. What did Bruce do to him? Apparently. So, but I thought he said he's never going to do it again, which to me seems like there was some sort of comeuppance or you know, reciprocal response from the Amos. I mean, based on the film, I bet John Amos just yelled a lot and flared his nostrils because that man is the nostrils of a god. Yeah. And that's the other thing is so we meet sort of the bad guy because he's naked and flexing. I'm I'm getting a call. I'm getting a call. On a Saturday? What the fuck? Boop. What was that? Oh, it's a robocall. They're asking for a Patricia. Are you Patricia? Charles? Patricia? Nah, I've I've gone by many names. Patricia? Not Patricia. I think it was a live guy. Oh shit! Sorry, man. Just that's okay. I, I hung up on him. No, but I mean, his job—if his job is calling Patricia uh, before noon on a Saturday—he can go fuck himself. Thank you. Uh, that's you know what a, I mean? I think Bruce would agree. Or sorry, John. I'm just—I'm just trying to have a cigarette and fuck my wife. Um, you don't get to meet like John Amos is meaningless in this movie. You don't care if he lives. You don't care if he dies. He doesn't have anything to do. He comes in halfway, and it's on that. I, would, that can I was work. blown away by that i forgot that he shows up over an hour into the movie but that's i'm saying that's fun in like a, oh look there's john amos halfway through the movie it does not work for me giving a shit about his motivations about his life about anything that he's trying to accomplish because i don't know who this person is well then also the blanks twist is so oh, sweaty and irritating. you didn't like that you didn't no, like that guys it's just such a fuck you where it's like these are these choices are just so they're such screenwriter choices and right, then they shoot exactly. them but they're blanks and then he finds out they're blanks and it's like but that's so weird like like you're making 
the, the, Die Hard works because it's so simple. This guy, this barefoot, sweaty, confused, overwhelmed guy is just trying to fucking survive this thing. And in this movie, it's like, then there's soldiers. Oh, but they're bad soldiers. And then they got blanks. And they got, it's like, it's just <laughs> yeah, it's so too sweaty. much. It's so fucking annoying. So like, it like just it's it's hard to watch because nothing there's no surprises they try to make surprises happen and they're just irritating good god i would say uh the only thing i thought was good in this movie was the plane explosion it looked sick i mean here's the thing for me as a diehard star trek fan you introduce miles o'brien just to murder him in a fucking human barbecue seconds wait, later. Wait, who's Miles O'Brien? Well, Miles O'Brien is the chief engineer. Oh, oh the guy, the pilot? Yes, he's the chief engineer on the, on the Enterprise and, he looks and later familiar. on DS9. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite humans to ever live. And you introduce him and then barbecue him seconds later. <laughs> that was rough, man. That was rough. I love you – can't, you can't bring in Miles and just fucking torch him. That's, that's horrible. You can't do it? I mean, they did it. It's, it's hard for me. Yeah, I mean, and that's who they should be caring about is the Star Trek enthusiast watching Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Also, there was no Die Harder in the title card, so I don't, I was confused. I remember it being called Die Harder. It's apparently on the posters. Do you think it's just the tagline or is it actually the subtitle? Like if you go to the IMDb, it doesn't say Die Hard 2, Die Harder. No, no, it's it's just like the, again, Die Harder actually as a concept, as a mentality captures exactly why this movie is bad yes no this is like the joke subtitle that like it's sort of like the what jaws four was this time it's personal like die hard Two, die harder like these are the things that we make fun of now because they're silly the review so this is where i'm wondering the review for ebert's review from july 3rd 1990 oh god yeah it's three and a half stars what a fascinating man is Ebert. He's so silly. <laughs> uh, Die Hard 2 subtitled Die Harder. So apparently in 1990, that was the subtitle. And throughout the magic of history, it was somehow lost. I wonder why. Cultural Maoism. I think, so for me, this is like, uh, this is like a James Bond movie more than a Die Hard movie in that it's a guy who shouldn't be doing what he's doing because he doesn't actually seem competent at it, yet the script makes sure and carries us the entire way, making sure we know he's competent at it. There's random bad guys. There's skidoo scenes. Like This seems like it should have been a Roger Moore, James Bond movie. Yeah, it has that campy feel to it. And for a series that's like trying to trade on being gritty... Yeah, by the time we get to like the ski-doo escape, you're like, what the fuck is this? Also, you know, I apologize to listeners. I remembered a lot more ski-dooing from my memories oh. of this on, on TV. I didn't want to tell you that there's like one scene of ski-dooing. And it's in my, in my pre- mind, this was mostly about John Amos and ski-dooing. I remember. It's funny. You, you said all I remember from this movie is the last 20 minutes. And you apparently blotted out the boring uh, scenes in the airport, which take up most of this movie. God. But then also talk about structurally the biggest problem with this movie. All of a sudden we just cut to like the fields around a church mm-hmm. for a while. And it's mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this? Who gives a f- like my favorite the part? The stakes just flatten. You know, we're in like a part field. Oh, is God. when they go when the, the, the new tech who sucks is like, uh, hey, you know what? There's this thing over there. You want to go check it out? 
and then just hard cut to something else and then hard cut back. It was like an episode of Scooby-Doo. They're like, hey, look, this is the last house we haven't checked yet in the neighborhood. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? That would have taken six hours all by itself to try to find the house where they are doing this shit. Yeah, we're talking about uh, Art Evans, who I don't know Art Evans terribly well. He's worked for a long time. He's been in a lot of stuff. But Art Evans in the thankless role as we've got to go over here guy is pretty terrible. Uh, a bad a bad performance. I, I don't get what he's trying to do. He just he just sounds like he's barking out lines like it does not feel lived in. Who is Leslie Barnes, airport chief engineer? We don't really get to know Leslie. You, you Wasn't don't think hard so? growing up as a Leslie in the mid 20th century, probably. Yeah, probably. The great Kurtwood Smith. I'm watching this excellent show on Amazon Prime, Patriot. Have you heard of this? No. Uh, it's so good. It's it's this really weird dark comedy about a CIA, an, an American intelligence officer in Luxembourg. It's really weird. It's so good. But Kurtwood Smith, you know, the iconic character actor, famously Clarence Boddicker from RoboCop, fans of the pod will remember. Uh, he plays a man named Leslie, and it's uh, a brilliant performance. Mm. A better Leslie than this. I'm saying we didn't get the t- peak Leslie. We sure didn't. I would say this movie, to sort of, like, I am having a very hard time picking an MVP. I really don't, like, that's the, the last episode I had a hard time picking an MVP because there were so many to choose from. Well, right. And here it's like, I, I don't honestly, I mean, is this allowed? I'm going to I'm gonna float something. It's not my actual MVP, but it's what I'm thinking about. But you can tell me if it's objectifying, offensive, or just silly. I think I want to choose the the guy's ass. William Sadler's butt? Yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, that's my fine. MVP yeah, pick. Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah, it definitely is the most striking image in the movie. And I think, to me, it like really encapsulates, maybe not his ass, but like his whole body, the muscles. every like To me, that moment was more meaningful profound invigorating and exciting than anything that happened in the movie well let me let me ask you this. i got more of a sense of his character Th- now did you like reginald val john's one scene over the phone as sergeant al powell eating a twinkie again oh, as he's fuck. wont to do S- telling him about fax machines also do they know that the fax machine was invented in the 19th century like this isn't new tech this shit's been around forever you didn't like uh, McLean being like, eh, it's 1990. I got to learn how to use a fax machine. How do I do this? Oh, God. Did you like that he sent a fax and was like, I circled the whorls in case it was blurry. John, you're just scribbling over the whorls? If it's blurry, the circle's just going to get sucked right in there. He obviously that's, never that's used what I'm a saying. fax they're, they're like choosing the weirdest things to draw attention to. <laughs> like, let's have faxing be yeah. a like, pretty elaborate subplot and it's just so fucking well it was the only way they could rope in um the the al powell into the movie is to like have him i don't know still be on la i guess they maybe they also so mclean just works for the lapd and that's just like i want to talk about that because like that also it's 1990 talk about setting the table for fucking failure it's like (laughs) he's an lapd cop like on the verge of them becoming the most like internationally renowned racist nightmarish abusive like so funny yeah um but that is like uh, it is an interesting take on from to carry over from the end of one where she goes from being holly Gennaro to holly mclean and as i've said she's already just becomes his wife for him to suddenly move to la become an la cop she still has her job i think with nakatomi it's like it, it was like one thing that carried over that 
didn't really make very much sense. Like, I feel like the ending of Die Hard was that it was, he was triumphant and then he could go back to New York and keep killing bad guys in New York because those are the bad guys that matter most. Did you like this? the early uh, dialogue where he's like, let me explain. I'm a New York cop. Moved to LA because my wife got a job. Good stuff. Good stuff. But I know I'm in D.C. because my mom, my fucking grand, my, my mother-in-law lives here now and I got her car and now she's going to fucking kill me. See, Jeez, mother-in-law. Like, this is a movie that like tries to bank on a mother-in-law joke in the first five minutes and it's like, Ugh. Jesus Christ. Dude, it's another era. Fucking 90s. Just, People gobbled that shit up. People just gobbled that shit up. Try. Just try a little. A dude would bring his kid sit there and be like, yeah, I fucking hate my mother-in-law too. Yeah. And then Ugh. for the whole movie, he'd be in. That was his like little breadcrumb trail to get him to sit back, relax, know he's in a safe place because you know, it's like nothing's worse than mother-in-laws and terrorists trying to capture a, what, a Venezuelan drug lord? Where is he from again? From, oh God, the fictional land of, uh, let me pull it up. It's so <laughs> fucking, what a terrible movie. I wish there was a third movie. That's what movie makes me so mad. Place. We could have a, a, a series that splintered off. We could do Commando and a third one if there was another He's movie from that took place. Valverde. Valverde. <laughs> I do love in Commando that they got all these weird character actors to play so, like supposedly South American villains. And one of them wears a knit vest. We got to do Commando, I think. It's really one of my favorites. Uh, by the way, one of the funnier goofs is that uh, the gun that McLean says is a German gun that's porcelain and can go through uh, metal detectors. It's not German, and it can't go through metal detectors. Fuck. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Yeah. John McLean is wrong. Right. But even funnier, it's like he's just like many conservative legends. He's just like inaccurately squawking out common misconceptions shared by like people misconceptions common misconceptions shared by people on like with the facebook of, of the of whatever the 1990 equivalent of that i suppose like yelling at your neighbor over a fence or something but anyways this movie uh, fucking sucks so who's my your MVP, mvp my mvp is uh cole meanie miles o'brien for a split second i remember the better world <laughs> before he dies it was like I'm trying to land the plane and then, you know, <laughs> dies in the fireball. So, uh, yes, uh, t- t- Cole Meany, uh, you made me think about Star Trek for a minute. I needed that at that point in the movie. And again, I, I speed watched it. Die Hard 2 fucking sucks. Bad, 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 bad. Looking forward, I don't know. I mean, I- I'm definitely saying when will it end. I don't really. I mean, I remember the fourth one being full meta, you know, essentially just like a goofy comedy at that point as I remember it. Um but at least yeah. the lines and the lines on four that I remember are actually funny, you know. So here's the thing: I'm also I've, I've had, we've been asking since last episode. Like we don't like John McClane. He is a shit character that represents shit. He sucks, and yet it is becoming more and more the John McClane show where he is cool and gets everything done. And when you see him in a space that isn't a box. When you get John McClane in a bag and a big parachute, it doesn't work, man. It just fucking doesn't work, and I'm done. I have, man, this sucks. This is like we've been like teasing we we're gonna do Die Hard. Everyone's been excited about Die Hard, and it's just turned into like some of the worst episodes we've ever done about some of well, the worst well, movies. Well, even sadder, you know, Fred Thompson's dead. You know, so his introduction to the podcast is in a is in a and he's a great american he was a republican senator he ran for president 
Um, I'm looking at a very cute photo of him meeting with American soldiers in South Korea. And and I wanted – I thought as a podcast we could do more for Fred Thompson. And it, it hurts me to shame an American, a real American hero. He was decent, a decent mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next week on the podcast, baby, Die Hard with a friggin' vengeance. Hold on. Die Hard with a vengeance? Die Hard colon, right? Die right. Hard colon with a vengeance? You're wait, telling me. Wait, wait, wait. Is there a question mark? You're telling me. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. We're going to die hard. With a vengeance? With a vengeance? Wait, really? You're What you're telling me is. Wait, wait. Squint. squint no, hold squint, on. Squint, no colon. Squint. It's literally die hard with a vengeance. Okay. <laughs> I want to close this episode out. I'm going to I'm going to be the director. Okay? Mark Ruffalo enters the room, okay? Give me some squints. Give me some uh some sh- Yeah, there we go. Give me some hits. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Action. You're you're telling me Die Hard with with a vengeance? 